All right, guys. It is 6.30. So let me pull you back together. And uh, let me pray over this next part, and we'll, we'll dive into to looking at what's going on here in these, these verses. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for uh, the chance to gather as, as men of this church, Lord, and, and uh, remember our heritage. Remember the, the men and the women that came before us. Father, your church that has um, been being established by your Holy Spirit since the very beginning. And, and so we thank you for the chance to study the scriptures. I pray that as we, as we look and as we think and as we've now uh, discussed and studied on our own, Lord, you would... Uh, just continue to gel these truths way down deep in our hearts. I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would be among us, Father, uh, stirring and convicting and calling and uh, guiding, Lord. Um, we, uh, we need you. If anything's evident from uh, the book of Acts, it's, it's just how much we need you and your presence and your power if we're going to accomplish your mission. So um, would you be with us as, as we go about our, our thinking this morning and uh, guide this time. We, we give it over to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed your study time. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to read through the passage that, uh, that we've all studied because I'm, I'm assuming that you've all read it on your own and you've now talked about it as well. I will say this. If you are struggling with keeping up with the homework, I know it's a lot and perhaps you're not used to, to doing these sort of intensive studies. I want to challenge you to try to get it done. Set aside. It probably doesn't take more than 10, 15 minutes a day. Um, and you're probably, you know, wasting at least that much time doing something uh, useless in your life. So uh, try to make it a priority. Uh, hey, it's discernment. It's not judgment. Um, <laughs> but, but try to make it happen. But if you can't, I get that some weeks are hard. If you can't do it, please at least read through the passage we're talking about because uh, we're, we're not going to have time to, to take the time to do that each week. Um, but I will give you just sort of an overview of, of what's played out here. I think the map is really helpful. There's maps in the back of your study book if you haven't seen them. Um, but uh, here in chapter 13, we are kicking off um, the first of Paul's three missionary journeys that will comprise the rest of this book of Acts. He uh, has a fourth journey that we don't really call a missionary journey because it's when he is traveling to Rome and ultimately is killed there. Um, so it's a little bit different than his other three, but this is, this is the first journey that he goes out on, um, and he completes the first half of that journey here in chapter uh, 13. Um, uh, he, he sets out from Antioch, as you saw uh, there, there in chapter, verses 1 through 3, with, with Barnabas. Uh, they pick up John Mark, who's from Jerusalem. Um, that John, I know it said John, it just said his name. It's going to become clear in the future chapters that, that it's Mark. The, uh, his name was John. He was also called Mark. He is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Um, and, and you noticed he was with them for a while and then he disappeared. Pay attention to that. That's going to become enormously significant in the, in the chapters to come. So his presence and then especially his absence is, is notable here. But uh, they begin, they set off um, from uh, Antioch. They, they head to Cyprus. The island of Cyprus, which you can see right there in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, notably, maybe you forget this, but that's where Barnabas is from. If you remember back in Acts chapter 4, uh, his, his real name is Joseph. He's from Cyprus. Uh, he's a Levite. He's a Jewish man. Um, and, and Barnabas, this incredible character in the book of Acts that's not as, uh, you know, he's not as great of a preacher as, as Paul, apparently. His writings and his works haven't really been preserved through time. But clearly in the book of Acts, we are seeing a lot of 
amazing things about this man Barnabas. So Barnabas and Paul, they head to Cyprus. We're told they land in the city Salamis on the, on the eastern coast. They go through the whole island. Uh, they end up on the other side, Paphos, where they uh, set sail up into modern-day Turkey. Um, they land in Perga and head up into Antioch. Remember, they started in Antioch. This is a different Antioch. Antioch in Pisidia is what it's called. Um, and that is where they spend this uh, uh, elongated time and where we catch this great sermon from uh, Paul. Um, they get this great response from that sermon. The next week, the whole town shows up, and that's when the Jews get jealous and, and, uh, and send them off. And, and as chapter 13 ends, remember, they're, they're shaking off the dust from that town, as Jesus instructed them to do. This, this was a you know, command from Jesus to the original 12 apostles uh, as they would go about preaching from town to town. If a town wouldn't receive you, that's fine. Shake the dust off, and it was a symbol of his judgment upon that town, and, and go on to the next one. So that's exactly what plays out there. Um, there's chapter 13 for you. I do want to take some time and go over our themes. Uh, I want to take uh, every week and, and just make sure that we are paying attention to this. Um, does anybody remember our, the major five themes that I gave you uh, last week? These are, uh, I can't emphasize enough, family, as you're studying Scripture, you want to track themes. These five are, are some of the most significant things that Luke is trying to teach us here in the, the book of Acts. And so paying attention to their development is one of the ways that you're going to catch the most meaningful parts of, uh, of this book. So anybody remember what they are? Work of the Holy Spirit. Man, you guys have it down. Work of the Holy Spirit is number one. There's number two, witnessing for Christ. Uh, number three, development of the church. Uh, fourth one, History of Salvation. I, I kind of want to rename this one. I know we've been doing History of Salvation, especially if you're with us in the fall for 11 weeks, 12 weeks now. Um, but what I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you're not totally clear on what I mean by that. What I mean is unity of salvation with the Old Testament. Jesus is not a new religion. The Christian faith is not new. It is the Jewish faith consummated. Um, and, and the book of Acts, Luke is just making that incredibly clear, that there's no distinction between Judaism and Christianity. We, in fact, are the true Jewish people. We inherited the true Jewish faith. In fact, Jews today that reject Christ are not Jews. They're not Israel. They've been cut off from, uh, from the, the, the vine. So um, it, it just pay attention to that. That was developed big time in Paul's sermon this week. Uh, the fifth one, evangelization of the nation, sort of the gospel going out um, in this book. All of these had major development. Who saw some stuff from the Holy Spirit? What did you see? Yeah, sending out, sending out of Paul and Barnabas uh, there uh, for this new work from the, the church in Antioch. Uh, verse 9, we're told that Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit as he's going about this work. And even this incredible moment of rebuke of this magician, Bar-Jesus his name is, uh, as Paul is, is rebuking this man, he, we're told he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit empowering the, the leaders of God's church for this supernatural work that they're doing. Uh, a, a miracle takes place there as, as he goes blind. It's not a miracle of healing. It's actually a miracle of judgment. Um, but the Holy Spirit is clearly the one doing that work in Paul, uh, through Paul. Uh, you also see in, in verse 52, the disciples are filled with, uh, says, joy in the Holy Spirit um, as they're, they're leaving Antioch and shaking the dust off. So Holy Spirit filling his church. And what he does is always true. He empowers witnessing. His, the role of the Holy Spirit is to fill uh, the disciples, fill the, the church, and empower them for witnessing for Christ. Obviously, you see a lot of that. You see it in the fact that um, the church is sending out witnesses for new work and new places. You see it in Paul's sermon. He's declaring the truths of Jesus to these Jews. 
in Antioch that haven't, uh, haven't heard about who Jesus is. And even says there, look at verses uh, uh, 31 and 32. Um, as he's sharing the gospel, as he's clarifying uh, who Jesus was, that he died and was resurrected from the dead, he says, and these apostles in Jerusalem are now his witnesses to the people. That's their role. The, the role of the church is to witness uh, to the death and resurrection of Christ. And so now Paul's joining in that. We bring you the good news that Jesus has, has done this. So that's the role. That's the role of the church. That's our role still today, witnessing for Christ. Uh, third one, development of the church. Uh, you see a lot of moments here. Um, again, when we're talking about this theme, we're talking about like how the church came to operate, how the church uh, came to practice different habits. Um, I see some interesting things. Number one, a plurality of elders. Did you notice that in verse one? Uh, the leaders of this church in Antioch, there's not just one guy, there's five. And the one guy who sort of was starting it all was Barnabas. We saw that in part one last, last year. If you want to go read chapter 11, you can sort of see how that unfolded. But, but Barnabas, even as God was blessing his work, and, and he was sort of planting this church in Antioch, uh, Barnabas left, like many people, it says, are, are coming to know the Lord. And Barnabas knew, I cannot do this alone. It is not right or good for me to lead a church by myself. So what does he do? He goes and gets Paul uh, from Tarsus and brings Paul there. Um, and then these other guys clearly are, are men that were raised up and installed as, as elders, as teachers, as leaders in the church. So clearly the church right from the start is, is showcasing that important reality of a plurality of leadership uh, that the Bible points us to should exist in churches. Um, secondly, I also see this centrality of prayer and fasting for the church. Uh, this is a lost art on, on the church today. Uh, hopefully not prayer. Hopefully we are praying people. We certainly pray in our services. Uh, but fasting is really not something that we practice today. But I just want to draw your attention to the fact that this church in Antioch, when the Holy Spirit's moving, when the Holy Spirit is directing and leading them, it's directly connected with them fasting. Which, what is fasting? It's this act of us pursuing God and His, His presence, His leader, leadership of us. It's a, it's a critical thing. Um, and uh, early church records tell us that they fasted twice a week. The whole church just set aside, I think it's Wednesdays and Fridays, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they set aside two days and the whole church fasted and prayed those days. So just wanted to point that out, uh, clear development of the church there. Um, and we also see some big development with the first missionary work of the church beginning We'll, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But uh, fourth theme, unity of salvation with the Old Testament, history of salvation. Uh, do I need, even need to go into that one? You guys saw that, I hope, in, um, in Paul's sermon there. Uh, the bulk of our, of our text this week was this great sermon from, uh, from Paul there in Antioch where he is in the synagogue and he's explaining how Jesus is the Messiah, that he came, uh, the unity of Jesus with the Old Testament. Um, and, and the Jews were marveled. Uh, uh, they, were, they were blown away by Paul's teaching, by this uh, connection of Christ with the Old Testament, uh, clearly impactful on them. The last one there, evangelization of the nations. Again, very obvious this week as the gospel is beginning to move out into the Gentile world. So um, that, that's a, a fascinating reality. Uh, when you look at the book of Acts and, and the reason why we have split apart um, Acts into two parts, um, any commentary you read, something big happens in chapter 13. I mean, it's a very clear distinction. What God has been up to previously has, has been a good work. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that at all, but it's sort of the first half of the Great Commission that He gave them, remember, in Acts 1.8. You'll, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and empower you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's all surrounding Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. So we've seen in part one the, the church being witnesses to Christ and evangelizing, 
in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. But here in chapter 13, as Paul and Barnabas are sent out, this is where they're starting to push against the edges of the known world. They're carrying the gospel to new places. Uh, they're taking uh, the, the gospel to the nation. So uh, enormous themes. We'll keep an eye on those as we go. But uh, I just, again, I want to encourage you, maybe get some different colored pens. I know that can be a girly thing to carry around a little pouch of pens. Uh, but, but seriously, man, you've got, you've got the, um, the whole uh, text of Acts back in the back. And it's fruitful for you to... Uh, take some time, use some attention to, uh, to look at these and, and track them and pay attention to how they develop. I'll try to highlight them for you from week to week. Um, with that, let me jump into uh, some teaching time on, on this uh, chapter. Uh, there's so much happening here. I really struggled as I was trying to think of what, uh, what's the most important things to focus on. Um, and I want to just focus on the church. Uh, in some ways, what I'm going to say today is a little bit of a summary of Acts Part 1. Um, but what I love about the Holy Spirit is that here in chapter 13, a lot of things that have been playing out in the past are, are being showcased again. So even for those of you who missed last time, this is a good overview of what God's been up to in the church. Got four points um, on your little handouts there with the questions. I have some fill in the blanks for you if you like fill in the blanks. But uh, four significant things playing out for the church in this chapter. I want to want to point out first the mission of the church. Um, what happens in verses 1 through 3, I can't even emphasize how significant this is in the, in the history of the church's development. You know, I mentioned chapters 1 through 12 are sort of the gospel going out in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Um, but mainly how that happened was very organically. So uh, the day of Pentecost happens and, and the gospel begins to break out in Acts chapter 2. In the, the city of Jerusalem, uh, the Holy Spirit's doing some miracles through the apostles, and a lot of people are coming to faith. Um, but the reason the gospel begins to extend out of Jerusalem is why? Why, why is it going to different places? Persecution. The, the early church was not a missionary church in, in the early chapters of Acts. You don't really see them beginning. I mean, in slight ways, there's, there's people traveling to the cities right outside Jerusalem. You see that, I think, in chapter 4. Um, but it's not until chapter 8, when the church is being horribly persecuted and people are running for their lives, that the gospel begins to be planted in these new places. And it's because they're scared and they're afraid. And the Holy Spirit can use the worst of circumstances in your life to build, uh, in, in your life to build His church. It's a, it's a good reminder of that. But, uh, but this is the first moment where you really see the church taking hold of the Great Commission, taking hold of Jesus' commandment that we're to go and make disciples, and beginning to, to do it. They, uh, they're praying, they're worshiping, they're fasting, and the Holy Spirit speaks and says, "Set apart for me." Barnabas and Saul for the work with which I have called them. I don't know how that happened. You know, we're not told how did the Holy Spirit say this. You know, was it an audible voice as they were were praying? That'd be fun. I haven't experienced that in my life. Maybe you have. Uh, was it a word of prophecy? Did God uh, speak through one of their members that I want I want this to happen? And they prayed over it and fasted and said yes. That is that is the voice of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I really don't know how. Uh, we're not given a description about how this happened, but clearly there's unity. Clearly there's no question here about what the Holy Spirit said. So he did it in a, a significant enough way, a clear enough way that the church felt uh, very clear that this is what they were supposed to do. And they, they do this missionary sending work of sending uh, people out. And I just want to point out three interesting observations to me about how this plays out. First, uh, it's all led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they do not go about, they don't run off and they have this you know, command from Jesus to go and make disciples. But they don't run off and uh, do it themselves. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit to direct. They're, they're 
praying and fasting and seeking the Holy Spirit as to the specifics of what they're supposed to do. They know they have their heading. We're to carry the gospel to the nations, but who's to go, Lord? And how are we supposed to do this? And, and when are we supposed to do this? These are real questions that all of us are going to face as we try to uh, uh, you know, live out our lives faithfully to the Lord. And what I love about what's modeled here is I think they're, they're looking to the Spirit. They're fasting and they're, their prayers, I think, are evidence of their pursuit of God's answers to these big questions, which I just want to acknowledge uh, our, our elders in that process. I think Bill is the only elder in the room right now, so Bill, I'll, I'll give you all the credit here. But um, have any of you been coming to uh, our Nights of Prayer and Vision for, um, for the future and for the, the future of this church? Um, if you have, I, this, I know that's a members-only environment, so maybe you're not a member and haven't been able to come. But one of the things I love about our elders right now, as we're trying to figure out what's the future of Emmaus Church, this property right here that we're renting right now at 75 Maddox doesn't fit. You know, you guys know that parking's uh, exhausting every single Sunday. Um, the, the worship services are full. The kids' rooms are full. It's like difficult to operate church because God's been blessing what we've been doing here. But so the question is, how do we, how do we continue to advance the, the mission, Lord? Here, here you've blessed what we're doing. How do we continue to allow this to be a place for gospel ministry, for, for lost people in our community for years to come? And guess what our elders are doing? They're not running off and creating a 10-point plan. They're asking us to pray. They're, if you've come to these nights, the thing that they've done again and again is, is to collectively say, we don't know, God knows, let's seek God together. And I think that is the exact model we're seeing here in, in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit leads what's happening. And, and look how He leads. He leads through calling. Um, there's two callings playing out. Did you notice this? The Holy Spirit, look, at, look closely at verse 2 with me. The Holy Spirit is giving a call to the entire church. That's a corporate calling. You, church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. But look at the end of that sentence. For the work which I have called them. So there's also an individual calling that God's been stirring up in the hearts of Barnabas and, and Paul. These are, uh, this is past tense. So I don't know how long this has been happening. But Barnabas on his own and Paul on his own in their own prayer times and their own seeking of the Lord, God was stirring them to something. They were, they were loving what God was doing in Antioch, but they were also stirred up to, to some new work, and the Lord was doing that work. God did the individual work in them, and then He did the corporate work, which finally sent them out, which I would just encourage you guys to all pay attention to. Stirrings from the Holy Spirit in your life are important. God does this sometimes. He, he puts dreams and visions in our life, and we pray about it, and we see that it's consistent with God's Word, and and we're just trying to figure out the, the wins and the hows and the whats. And Lord, this is in my heart. How, do, how does it ever come out? Well, I think it comes out as we continue to seek Him. As we continue to pray and fast. And at some point, individual callings, especially when it relates to vocational ministry, church planting, you know, uh, this kind of work that, that's being described here, it should always be affirmed by your church. Those who love you, lead you. God's not going to have disunity between the Holy Spirit's calling on your life and the Holy Spirit's calling on the church. Does that make sense? And in fact, if, that's, if there is disunity, if you feel called to something and your elders are saying, I don't think you are called, you're not called. God has leaders over the church for a reason. So you see all that playing out here. Um, I think I had one more note. Oh yeah, just the fact that, that missions and gospel expansion can be painful. Um, notice who the two people were that are sent out. Were they just average Joes in the church? No, they were, they were two of the five. These are, this is Barnabas, the guy who started the church. This is Paul, the first guy Barnabas goes and gets from the church. They sent out their best. 
just imagine how painful that would be, you know, for you if this is how the Lord did it. Um, so I, I just want to point out that, that very often when, when God's ministry is advancing, this painful gospel goodbye moment has to happen whereby we mourn the loss of something good that he's been doing in order to allow something new to begin. Um, this happens every time at our church when we start new MC groups. How do we start new MCs? It's usually from uh, members of current MC groups that are healthy, and we ask them to pray about going off and planting a new missional community group. That's hard. It's hard to say goodbye to your friends. It's hard for your wives to say goodbye to their friends. It's hard to be involved in new work, and yet that's the only way new work happens. It always is, is painful. This is the same way when we send missionaries to the field in new countries. It's the same way when we, you know, if God ever leads us to plant a new church out, out of Emmaus Church, it'll mean, you know, leaders from here going, uh, members from here going. That will be a painful process, but this is, this is how the mission of God unfolds. Um, and I've got to pick up my pace here because I'm taking too long. Uh, second big thing I see playing out here, the message of the church. Um, again, the bulk of this chapter, the bulk of what we study this week is this sermon that Paul preaches. Masterful sermon, very reminiscent to me of, of Peter's sermon back in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, um, which is, I think, really appropriate because it's showing us the church had one message, and the message was Jesus. Uh, they, they had one thing they were preaching to the world. It's still the one thing we're preaching today. We've been given one task, and that's to declare the gospel, the truths of Jesus. And, and Paul, as he's teaching it, he has three basic parts here. First, God promised a Messiah. He shows, proves from the Old Testament, does all these quotes to showcase that God in the Old Testament was foretelling a day when he would send a king from the line of David who would establish justice, who would sit on uh, the throne of David forever, who would solve the problems of sin. By his stripes we would be healed from our iniquities. Um, Paul just showcased that, that a Messiah was promised. Then he showcased, number two, that Jesus is the Messiah, and uh, that thirdly, in his name, there is forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 38. I think this is like the best, maybe you want to circle that one, the place where his whole message becomes clear. And it's the same message again that you hear on, on Sundays uh, every time we're around here. But he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He's, he's saying, if you believe in Jesus, you will be forgiven of your sins. That's our message. It's the same thing we preach today. It's not of works. You know, there's no men in this room. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're new. Maybe you grew up in church, but you grew up in a church that always sort of put God in a position where the things that made you right with him were attending church and giving to the church and uh, reading your Bible. And if you do all these good works, if you're good enough, then God will approve of you. I'm sorry, but that is a lie. If you've been taught that, that's not ever going to allow you to be reconciled with God. The truth of the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New, is that you can't be freed by works. Like what, what he says here, uh, look at the second half. He says, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He's saying even the old covenant, even the sacrificial system and the laws that Moses gave and the Ten Commandments and, and all these you know, goats and sheep that you had to kill and pour the blood. And Have you read Leviticus? Has anybody read Leviticus lately? I just read it. I'm doing a read through the Bible plan. You know what they had to do every time there was sin? I mean, it's unbelievable. They had to kill, the, the person who did the sin had to kill the animal. 
and there's blood everywhere. And then they'd have to put the, the blood, you know, touch seven times on this part of the altar and put blood on your thumb and put blood on your big toe. And you read it and you're thinking to yourself, this is so complicated. And the whole point is to show sin is so complicated. And solving the problem of sin is so complicated. But even all those complicated procedures could not totally free someone from their sin. Only Christ can. So if you have not yet heard that Jesus and His grace is the only way to salvation, that's the only message of the Bible. Jesus alone, Christ alone, His forgiveness alone. There's no work you can do to be reconciled with God. There is a work that's been done, the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. He spilled His blood to clean you up of your sin. And in His name, you'll be saved, period. So that's our message. It's their message. It's our message. It's never changed. It never will. Paul even says in um, Galatians, he says, if an angel shows up, and, and tells you a new gospel, he's accursed, he's anathema. Let him go to hell. Because there's not another gospel, there's only one. It's this one. Third one, the opposition to the church. Um, the church faces massive opposition here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just quickly highlight this. Uh, you see it twice. The wise man here, this magician, uh, this magi. Interestingly, the word magi there is, uh, is the same... The wise men who visited Jesus, it's the same Greek word. So this guy, don't necessarily perceive that he was a magician doing magic tricks like we think today. He was, he was probably an advisor, a very wise counselor. Uh, but he was a Jew, a false prophet, we're told. He's uh, interfering with the work of God there in Cyprus um, and, and clearly uh, trying to keep this pro-counsel from, from uh, coming to faith, coming to Christ. Uh, the, the Word of God is going forth and yet opposition is coming from within the Jews against it. Same thing happens there in the second episode uh, there in Antioch when, you know, verse 45, the Jews saw all these crowds, all these people hearing what Paul and Barnabas were saying and loving it, and they got jealous. They were filled with jealousy and they began to oppose it. Um, and it just goes to show what we've seen in, in, in our study of Luke so far on, on Sundays. Pastor Anson has pointed this out really well. Where the work of God is going forth, the work of Satan is going forth as well. Like, like Satan is deeply opposed to the work of God. And so when, when God is up to something, you will often experience uh, spiritual warfare, warfare. And it's not just like uh, people being mean. Y'all, it's satanic. Paul calls this brother, he says he calls him a son of the devil. That's an intense phrase. It appears one other time in the Bible. It's when Jesus uses it in, uh, I think it's Matthew 13, the parable of the weeds, when he says, as the, the Lord is planting uh, seeds in the church, which he explains what it means. He means true believers. As the church is growing and true believers are coming up, Satan comes in the night and plants false believers. And they, he calls them sons of the devil. Uh, and, and Satan raises up among the church People who don't love God, who are deeply opposed to the things of God, who confront and, and confound and conflict with the things of God. Um, so right now, I mean, even in this room, some of you may be sons of the devil. I hope you're not. Uh, but I just mean this is the teaching of the Bible, that there are people who don't love God who are sitting among the people of God. And they're there to confront and to confound. And, and this is the opposition that the church faces. Jesus is actually really clear in that parable. We are not supposed to try to figure out who the weeds are. Jesus says, I'll deal with it. And the last day I will harvest and the weeds will be thrown in the fire and I'll bring my, my wheat into the barn. Um, so we're not responsible for like inspecting you and making sure you're not a son of the devil. God knows. He'll, he'll, he'll deal with you. But uh, opposition is a part of this process uh, as the church goes forth. And then the last thing, I just want to sh show you the joy of the church. Um, 
I love how this chapter ends. I think it's so appropriate. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, just imagine, they loved what God was doing in Antioch, and yet the Holy Spirit was stirring something up in them. So put yourself in their shoes. They're so excited to be going out on this new work. I mean, it's hard to say goodbye, but the calling of God that they've been experiencing for years is finally coming to fruition. So they're, they're going out. It's amazing in, uh, in Cyprus, the only you know, opposition they face. That guy goes blind, so God's just working. Then they get up in, into Antioch, and they, they get to preach the very first Sunday they're there, and they preach this amazing sermon. Everybody's interested. They come back the next week, and it's what happens. It's horrible. I mean, the, the leaders of the synagogue are confronting them. They, fa- they face all this opposition. All this pain begins to bubble up in their hearts. Um, where would you be if you were experiencing all this pain? They have to leave the town. They're shaking off dust as a symbol of God's judgment on Antioch and moving on to the new town. I would be crying. I'd be so sad. Holy Spirit, where are you? God, what are you doing? But look what it says. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Which I just want to, Paul and his development of how to be joyful in the Lord in the midst of suffering in the New Testament, all of his writings show that, is profound. But what I want to point out to you guys, what I want to make sure that you don't miss is that even in suffering, when you're serving the Lord, there is great joy. When God has led you into gospel work, and I don't even mean vocational work, I mean any of you. I know sometimes you can think gospel work and Apostle Paul, Brian, you're talking about pastors, you're talking about ministers. I'm not. I'm talking about God's people doing gospel work. When God has called you, led you, when you're being faithful to do it, even on the hard days, you are filled with the joy of the Lord. The Lord knows how to protect His people, to fill you with His peace, to fill you with His joy, so that even when it's, when it's hard and frustrating, uh, you can be strong. You can be described just as them, filled with uh, joy. The, the false prosperity gospel that false teachers will teach is that if you follow God and get involved in His work, then everything will go well for you, and you'll have health and wealth and prosperity. You won't lose your jobs. Your kids won't get sick. Nothing will go wrong. That's false. The true prosperity gospel is what you see here sometimes it goes bad sometimes it's really painful but in the midst of it all god protects you he preserves you he fills you with with joy joy the church on clear display here so um we're out of time i won't get to my application questions but uh but all of these things being true i I would encourage you to to think through how does this apply to your life what is god stirring up in your heart how's he how's he leading you i think those are important things to consider lord we love you lead us out help us to be your church today in our own world there's a lot of lostness father you need good witnesses and you've already empowered us with your spirit so send us out Uh, help us to seek you as we as we pursue you in your name we pray amen